0: All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we're talking about Falcons rookie safety Jalen Hawkins going on the reserve COVID list. We're going to be talking about the Falcons pass rush, as well as some tidbits from Dan Quinn's Tuesday press conference. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So today's episode of Lockdown Falcons is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, RockAuto.com. And you guys know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter, at FalcFans, and of course, the host of this world-renowned Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Falcons having their first player go on the reserve COVID-19 list for players that potentially potentially test positive talking about the Falcons rookie safety and Jalen Hawkins. We'll get into some of the tidbits about Dan Quinn's press conference, particularly when it comes to roster management and sort of at least my takeaways from that in terms of how that's going to affect how I approach this uh, summer. And then we'll take a deeper look into this year's pass rush and sort of what are some realistic expectations about that. And it will kind of, talk a little bit about Vic Beasley since he uh, made some headlines today by not showing up to Titans camp. And that will sort of be our sort of gateway into that conversation. So we'll get into that, but without further ado, let's sort of get into that locked on Falcons lead story on Jalen Hawkins. So the Falcons had their first player to be put on the NFL's new temporary injured reserve list, otherwise known as the reserve COVID-19 list. It was twenty twenty fourth round draft pick and safety. Jalen Hawkins was placed on that list on Tuesday by the Falcons. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that Hawkins tested positive for COVID-19. He could just simply be in quarantine. Officially that reserve COVID-19 list is created for players who have either tested positive for COVID-19 or who have been quarantined after being in close contact with an infected person or persons. And teams are prohibited from commenting on a player's medical status or confirming whether or not he did test positive due to an agreement between the NFL and the NFL players association. So we really won't get any clarity on the issue on sort of what category Hawkins fits into, but we might've got a hint on that from Falcons head coach, Dan Quinn, during his Tuesday press conference, Quinn said to a reporter on a question unrelated to Hawkins that nobody on the Falcons team had tested positive for COVID-19, which implies that Hawkins may fit into that latter category of people that have been exposed to the virus. But regardless, we're not going to get any confirmation anytime soon from Dan Quinn over the next couple of days because of those league rules. Hawkins did arrive early in training camp on July 21st when the Falcons had the rookies report and underwent several days of daily COVID testing prior to this week. Hawkins is expected to compete for a reserve role at Strong Safety, potentially becoming the backup Two starter Keanu Neal at that position. Neal has missed a combined 28 games over the last two seasons, and the Falcons have had their depth behind him somewhat exposed in that period of time and they hope that Hawkins can be an attempt to address some of those issues, nip those depth concerns in the bud moving forward. But the fact that he'll be away from the team for an unforeseeable amount of time could throw a wrench into those plans. Other players potentially vying for that role include Jamal Carter and Sherrod Niesman. We'll see if Hawkins' status hurts or helps those guys' chances to wind up filling those shoes. And speaking of roster chances, we'll get into that some more when we get into some of the more interesting tidbits from Dan Quinn's Tuesday press conference, focusing quite a bit on the roster stuff coming up on today's podcast. But before we get there, you know, I know Dan Quinn likes things fast and physical, and that goes for both in the locker room and in the garage. And you can't be fast and physical in the garage if you don't have the right parts for your car. And if Dan Quinn's asking me, where's the right place to find those right parts? I tell them all about RockAuto.com. You see, RockAuto.com has everything from engine parts to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. You get everything you need in a few fast, easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and easy to navigate as you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand, specification, or price. And those prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low. The same for professionals and do it yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same? Parts, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car truck, right? Locked on in the how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff shared by Dan Quinn in his Tuesday press conference, but my takeaways were a little bit more on a personal matter. You know, I, I look at the summer season as a great time for me because you can evaluate some of these young players. Not only are you getting a glimpse of what the player will be, you know, potentially this upcoming season, but you can also use sort of what they do in the preseason, particularly if they're a player that gets stashed on the practice squad or doesn't play a whole lot in the future and then use future preseason performances as a gauge to see how much growth a player has shown. And I'll give two examples. Like, we always talk about that, you know, second year jump that a lot of guys make. And recently we saw a guy like DeMonte Casey make that jump in twenty eighteen. And, you know, that led to the team viewing a player like Ron Parker who had a similar skill set as expendable, which eventually led to the team trading for Jordan Richards, which will live in infamy, but Casey did go on to have a successful 2018. He made a bunch of plays during that preseason was all over the field, had a very positive impression that he was poised for big things. And he proved that by sharing the league lead in terms of interceptions that 2018 season. Another example from last summer would be Jaden Graham. You know that Jaden Graham's first summer here in Atlanta as an undrafted free agent back in 2018. I I thought he was pretty whelming. You know, he wasn't overwhelming. He wasn't underwhelming. He was kind of just the guy. You know, he's stuck on the practice squad, at least in my perspective, not based off of the fact that he was a guy that, you know, showed that he was a guy with a lot of potential, but simply because the Falcons needed a body at the tight end position. And like they were like, hey, well, Jane Graham's here. Might as well keep him. But then you fast forward to last summer in 2019 and Graham showed that significant jump and that significant progress and was arguably one of the most improved players, you know, in camp at least based off of the preseason performances it led to eric salbert being viewed as expendable and the falcons trading him it essentially led to jaden graham taking over for austin hooper as when he was hurt uh for those three games mid-season and you know while i think graham's impact on the field was overrated by some particularly the anti-hooper folks that were saying that graham was just as good or even better than austin hooper was I think there is no doubt that Graham did perform reasonably well during that three game stretch. And that that performance, I think certainly was a contributing factor to the Falcons viewing a player like Austin Hooper as a tad bit more expendable when it came to the off season moves. And so those are two examples, I think of sort of the value of that summer season and and sort of the summer evaluation process that I personally uh, get out of it. I know for a lot of you guys, a big part of the reason why you listen to this podcast is because, you know, someone like me is going to give their unfiltered opinions about players rather than, you know, simply spouting the company line, as they say. And we're not going to have that opportunity to do that this year. You know, practices are going to be closed and we won't be able to see preseason games. And that gets me to sort of what I want to talk about with, with Dan Quinn's press conferences, because it's going to change my perspective somewhat, but With the team's perspective in terms of how they treat practice squad players, like who they wind up keeping on the practice squad, I'm just like, I don't know, you know, because I haven't seen these guys play. You know, What's going to be interesting is sort of how teams approach the practice squad, at least the tidbit that Dan Quinn sort of talked about in his press conference was that you may not see teams as quick to sort of bring in outside talent. You may not see teams looking to pilfer guys off of other teams' practice squads as they may have been in previous years. You know, in the past, given the relatively high degree of roster turnover throughout the league, you know, let's say you had an injury to a tight end on Sunday during the game. Right. And then you bring in like four or five tight ends on Tuesday to work out for the team. And then whoever's the best out of that group, you wind up signing Tuesday night and he's there for practice Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, and you proceed. Like that, you know, pretty short window and pretty short turnaround to add help. But due to all the new testing protocols that are going to be in place, you know, for the foreseeable future, you may take a lot longer. That window, that turnaround in order to bring in somebody else to fill those shoes is potentially going to be a lot longer. And it's maybe going to lead to teams not being as willing to bring in those new guys. So that puts more emphasis on the in-house guys. And that's going to affect how teams manage your rosters from here on out. And I think there's an obvious pro and con to that. You know, the pro is that it does give some of those in-house guys more opportunities, more chances to stick um, because, you know, the familiarity uh, that the coaches staff is going to have with them from being in the building already. The con of that is if those in-house guys can't necessarily cut the mustard, at least later on in the year, when we get to playing actual games, you know, there's not going to be a, a great, Alternative there. So for me, on a personal as someone who prides himself on being able to generally predict the opening day roster, you know, with close to 95 percent accuracy most years. You know, not having that ability this year because I won't be able to look at the preseason games and say, okay, this guy's standing out and this is matching what the coaches are saying in in various press conferences or, or you know, in the cases last year, like here in Dirt Cutter Praise, Christian Blake on, a, on Mike Tyson's podcast was like, oh, okay, like this is a thing. And so like... We won't get those types of tidbits anymore, or we'll have to rely solely on those types of tidbits from, you know, oh, Dan Quinn mentioned this guy in a press conference, or Dirk Cutter mentioned this guy in a press conference, as opposed to being able to say, okay, well, he mentioned this guy, but then when we actually get to the actual games – You know, the way that the Falcons are actually utilizing these guys in the preseason is actually telling you a different story or a slightly different story that maybe they're not on as high on that guy, or at least that guy's chances of making the roster may not be as high as the words seem to imply there. So we won't be able to to have that sort of check, I guess you could call it, Um you know, that spot check in, in terms of that. So we'll just have to rely on that. And, you know, for me personally, it's a little disappointing, but we'll see how it turns out. We're going to be relying a lot more on sort of what they call hearsay, which, you know, in my eyes has been fairly reliable or fairly unreliable. I should say over the years I've learned, you know, from 20 plus ish years of watching players play. You know, I, I, I tend to trust my own eye and my own ability to evaluate And uh, we won't necessarily have that opportunity this year, but on the note of evaluation and properly evaluating people, let's talk about Vic Beasley because I was the only person on the planet that properly evaluated Vic Beasley, but no, we're going to talk about Vic Beasley. If you guys didn't hear that, he did not report to Titans camp on Tuesday. Maybe he was confused by how many, you know, ex Falcons were on the team and got confused and thought he was reporting to the Falcons rather than the Titans, um, and that will sort of be our gateway into the conversation about the Falcons pass rush, particularly when it comes to the guys that have that quote unquote dog in them. And we'll get into that later on today's podcast. But if you guys want to catch up with all the news going on around the league, of course, you can subscribe to the Locked On NFL podcast hosted by Matt Williams and Brian Peacock on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to me right now. Locked on NFL has you covered from all the latest news going on around the league. And there's a lot of big things happening this week. So definitely want to subscribe and listen to locked on NFL podcast. So let's talk a little bit about Vic Beasley. And, you know, he's always going to, it's always going to rear its ugly head on this podcast. Cause we've spent a lot of time talking about Vic Beasley over the last five years. And, you know, I can't quit you as they say, you know, he did not report to Titans camp on Tuesday. And, um, you know, just as a side note, there are a bunch of Titans in a bunch of ex Falcons and Titans camp. You know, they have five currently. The what's six. They cut Zach Kieran earlier this week. So that dropped it to five. The 49ers have five. The bills have four. The Browns have four. The Seahawks have four. The Cowboys and Eagles have three each. And you're like, Aaron, why do I, why do you know this information? Hey guys, man, I was stuck in the house for a long time during quarantine. So I had to do certain things and look up certain things to uh, <laughs> fill my time. But Beasley's not reporting, you know, whether that means he's not opting out, whether that means whatever, who knows? Um, You know, and I know for a lot of people, they're like, well, this is just classic Vic Beasley because he's not passionate. He doesn't care about football. And this is just further proof of that. I think that's a good gateway into the conversation I want to have for the remainder of today's episode, which is talking about the current Falcons pass in 2020. And whether or not, and I've referred to it in the past on Monday, talking about some of the big questions about the team going into the season was Candy's dogs hunt. And I phrase it that way because everybody seemingly is obsessed with, quote unquote, dogs. Got to have the dog in them as pass rusher. And that was the big knock on Vic Beasley. He didn't have that, quote unquote, dog in him. How many times could I say dog in this podcast? We'll, we'll see. Count the ticker. Um But now the Falcons have four legitimate dogs, Tack McKinley, Marlon Davidson, Grady Jarrett, Dante Fowler. You can say whatever you want about those guys, but you can't say they don't have that quote unquote dog in them. Now, you know, this will be the last sort of tidbit I'll say about Beasley because we're we're not really talking about Vic Beasley on today's podcast, but got to talk a little bit about Vic Beasley. You know, I don't think Vic Beasy's main issue was a lack of motivation, a lack of desire, which is sort of the implications of not having the dog in him. I think Vic Beasley's issues as a as a pass rusher here in Atlanta were a lack of technique and a lack of, dare I say, physical ability. You know, and one of the ways I kind of likened it too is like, you know, it'd be like asking Deion Jones to play defensive end, and if the Falcons did that, most people would be sitting there and being like, "Oh, it's you know the reason why Deion Jones is not succeeding as a pass rusher." is not because he lacks a quote unquote dog is because the Falcons are idiots for playing him out of position. And I feel like, you know, we never had that conversation because Beasley's background at Clemson and coming into the league and with the expectations placed on him coming specifically to this Falcon team that was solely looking for a pass rusher. The expectations were exclusively surrounding his ability as a pass rusher. And I felt like for, a, you know, Certainly, the last couple of seasons, he, you know, the fact that that conversation didn't go anywhere else was kind of like fitting a square peg into a round hole. And what I mean by that is, like, BZ was never judged by his ability and his value to fit into the entire defense schematically, and rather was always going to be judged by his individual prowess as a pass rusher. And from my eyes, like that latter group category, he was always going to be found wanting. But when you looked at the former, you could see some positive things. I'm not going to sit here and say, like, he would have been proved to be worth the a top 10 pick or would have been worth $15 million or $13 million or whatever we were paying him. But at least if you looked at him through that other lens of sort of how he fits within the scheme, I think you would have seen at least, Hey, you know, he's decent. He's solid. He, he gets the job done. And I think you see, you look at the second half of the season, with the Falcons defensive improvement and I think a lot of people would be shocked to hear that the Falcons probably ran more three-man rushes under Raheem Morris in the second half of the season than they did in the first half under Dan Quinn but I get I would bet most people those things went unnoticed for a lot of people because when the Falcons ran their three-man rushes in the second half of the season it worked and I think a big Part of why they worked is because the Falcons had Vic Beasley being that eighth man dropping in the coverage and his athleticism allowed him to, I won't say excel in that role, but certainly be effective in that role. But we're talking about the 2020 pass rush. You know, we've we've gone down the Vic Beasley rabbit hole. I'm sure it will crop up again at some point in the next couple of months and we will discuss it again. But for now, we'll leave the Vic Beasley conversation uh, to bed, put it to bed. And so talking about this year's pass rush and, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, a lot of it has been centered around getting guys that have the dog in them. And you even heard Thomas Dimitrov use similar language about this around the senior bowl when he was talking about the types of players that the Falcons were looking for. You know, not specifically with pass rushers just from a team standpoint, but some of that conversation was geared around pass rushers. And he was using terms like aggressive and fiery and passionate and nasty and edgy and physical, you know, and those are the types of words that I would imagine most people would use to explain or or define what they mean when they say a guy has that dog in him. So the point I'm trying to make is I think the whole notion of the dog is going to be a non-issue for this current defensive line group so we should see this defensive line group be the best that we've ever seen you know in the Dan Quinn era because uh, you know the previous ones have never been able to reach their full potential right because they were being held back by a dogless player like Vic Beasley and so i wanted to look at sort of what is a realistic expectation for if this is the best d line group that we've seen in the Dan Quinn era what does that look like and so i went back to pro football focus looked at their pressures to see sort of which falcons pass rush over the last 5 years has been the best we've seen and I only wanted to focus on like the top 6 guys and looked at you know guys who were the top 6 guys in terms of getting you know snaps to rush the, the quarterback and just focus on on theirs rather than sort of the cumulative effect of the team and the best pass rush group that the Falcons had at least their top 6 guys was the 2016 group that group had 217 combined pressures the 2017 group was right on their heels with 215 this is of course regular season only uh factoring in 2018 and 2019 both had a combined 191 pressures and 2015 was all the way down at 166 And so I thought it was interesting when you sort of convert those pressure numbers into sacks, because according to Pro Football Focus, roughly about 15% of pressures result in sacks. So it would mean roughly the 2016 and 2017 units should have combined for roughly the top six guys, at least, should have combined for 32 and a half sacks, which we could maybe call expected sacks from here on out. But in 2016, they only had 28 sacks. In 2017, they had 31 So I think because the 2017 group got the closest to their expected sack level. And by the way, if you're curious, the Falcons have consistently, at least in terms of their top six guys have consistently underperformed uh, based off of, you know, the quote unquote expected sacks to the actual sacks that they actually got. But the 2017 group was the closest to reaching out again, 31 to 32 and a half. And then the next Closest group was 2018 where the top six guys were expected to have roughly about 28 and a half sacks based off of their pressures. And they finished with 26. So what about this 2020 group when we use this sort of methodology and doing some rough math, looking at guys like Jack and Jarrett, I'm sorry, Jarrett tack Fowler and Davidson. If all those guys have career years, you could see those four guys alone combine to exceed 200 pressures. And how I came to that conclusion is if I assume 500 snaps rushing the quarterback for Grady Jarrett, which is about what he's had the last couple of years, 450 for Dante Fowler, 400 for Tack and Davidson, which again, this would be about roughly on par with what guys had in 2018 um, in terms of the top four guys. And then I looked at their career highs in terms of their pressure rates by looking at you know the highest percentage of you know, snaps where they they were able to generate pressure. And obviously we don't have a career high for Davidson, but I basically calculated what was the highest pressure rate for any interior defensive lineman or any rookie interior defensive lineman over the last three years that played at least 200 snaps. That was Draymond Jones with the Broncos with a roughly a pressure rate of about 10.5%. And so if you do that math, then you would get totals where Dante Fowler would lead the way with about 59 pressures. Grady Jarrett would be just behind him with 58. Tack would be 49. Marlon Davidson would have 42 pressures. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call those numbers the ceilings for those guys, but it's certainly towards the upper end of the projections, I would say. So that's 208 between those four guys right there. And again, the 2016 total for the top six guys was 217. So they would be, you know, those four guys would be able to produce what the top six guys, you know, in 2016 were able to produce, which by the way, were Beasley, Jarrett, Freeney, Claiborne, Jonathan Babineau, and Brooks Reed. So now let's assume Charles Harris and Alan Bailey, I think were probably the safest assumptions to be the, the fifth and sixth guys in the rotation. And let's assume that they'll get roughly about 250 snaps each to uh, rushing the quarterback this year. Now, I wouldn't necessarily project Bailey's career high because, you know, he's 33 years old, but let's go back just a few years in 2018 and look at his pressure rate when he had six sacks that year. If you projected that pressure rate for our projection of snaps in 2020, you would get about 14 pressures from Alan Bailey this year. For Harris, his his career high pressure rate would give him about 28 pressures this upcoming season. So if you add those, 42 pressures plus the 208 we already have. We're looking at a top six of producing about 250 combined pressures. And just for the sake of comparison, the top six pass rushers for the 49ers in 2019 only had 240 combined pressures. The 2017 Eagles had 270 and the 2017 Saxonville Jaguars had 253. So clearly if the Falcons top six guys were able to produce at that level, they would be on par with, at least in terms of the top six pass rushes that we've seen in recent years that have been known for defenses that had, you know, dominant pass rushes. So clearly the ceiling is very high for the Falcons, right? That's clearly what was being said. But again, the caveat is if everybody has a career year, if all six guys have a career year and you know, me, you guys know that I tend to shy away from assuming the best case scenario. I've, you know, I tend to look at what's the guy's floor, what's his ceiling and sort of what is realistic is sort of that middle projection to split the difference and boom, right? So, you know, without going through as much homework to calculate the, you know, the, the floor for these guys, again, I, I kind of went with it like 180 because I, I figured between the top four guys, you would be looking at maybe like 150, maybe 155 between those four guys as not necessarily your worst-case scenario, but just a lower-level projection for those guys. You know, the worst-case scenario is everybody gets hurt and, you know, your 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 top six, you know, pass rushers are, who God knows, Jacob Tuoti, Mariner, you know, Stephen Means, and, you know, Losi Latu or something like that. That's the worst-case scenario. But you, you guys get what I'm saying. And so basically they're saying, oh, those guys get maybe 150-plus, then – you know, Bailey and Harris give you maybe like 25 or so. So you get roughly around 180 or so. So 180 is your floor. 250 is your ceiling. The realistic expectation for what this unit is going to be is 215, which is exactly what your 2017 top six pass rush was, which was relative to that season was middle of the pack type of pass rush. Which I think is fine. I think that's a foreseeable goal. I, I feel like, when I, when I sit here and talk about this pass rush and I'm like, I think they can be league average. I think that's a quasi optimistic projection for them. Right. I feel like I feel confident or reasonably confident, um, you know, cautiously optimistic that they can hit that goal. But I, the question I have is, is that if that's where they're going to be this season, is that good enough? Because I can't help, but notice in 2016 and 2017, when their pass rush was on that level you were getting some of the peak years for several players in this Falcon secondary in those seasons, you know, particularly 2017, you can argue 2017 was peak Robert Alford, peak Keanu Neal. It was not peak Desmond Truffaut and Ricardo Allen, but it was certainly upper level performances for those guys in their career relative to the career. And, and Brian Poole was solid that year. And I'm not necessarily convinced that you're going to get that same level of peak production from your secondary that you got in that year where you could quote unquote, get by, you know, obviously if your offense was clicking with what is a middle of the road pass rush. And so that's why, you know, for several months now, you've heard me harp on this team doing more things to invest in their pass rush, because I feel like if the team invests more, and you can swap out, you know, maybe Alan Bailey's not your sixth guy, maybe Charles Harris is not your fifth guy, and get better pass rushers in those slots, all of a sudden, you know, let's say Cam Wake and Timmy Jernigan, who knows, Uh, just to use two examples. All of a sudden, you raise that potential, and all of a sudden, maybe your top six guys, instead of 250 pressures being the ceiling, maybe you're talking about you know, 270 being the potential ceiling. And then that raises the realistic expectation from, you know, 215 to, you know, 230 or or 225 or or whatever the number is, you know. So I I just think that to me is the best strategy. And that's why I've been a little critical of the Falcons. But it's going to be interesting to sort of see if this pass rush lives up to those expectations. And again, it, it goes back to, you know, the notion that a lot of people think, you know, it's all about the dog in him. And, you know, for me, I think it's not all about that. I think a lot of it is, you know, technique and coaching, and that's going to be what's going to be put to the test. And sort of where this pass rush ends up, if they hit that 215, if they hit that 230, 250, whatever that benchmark is, I think it's going to be a testament to how well coached they are, not necessarily how much dog they have in them. You know, so we'll see how that turns out. We'll see what happens with Vibizi. We'll see what happens with Jalen Hawkins. We'll see, you know, what other players um, decide to opt out. You know, that's a big thing going on around the league. So far, we've gotten zero for the Falcons, but the deadline for that, they still got, you know, another seven plus days to do that. We'll see how all that develops and we'll continue these conversations right here on Locked on Falcons. Of course, if you want to provide your feedback to anything I talked about today or previously on the podcast or things you want me to talk about in the future of the podcast, of course you should send me an email to lockdownfalcons Falcons at mail.com or hit me up on Twitter at Locked on Falcons or Facebook at Locked on Falcons. Until then guys. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked on podcast network, your team, Every day.